Welcome to the Daily Texans Politics and Pints, where we're coming at you live from somewhere other than Coachella. That's why Austin's so empty this weekend. Yes. I'm uh, Daily Texan Editor-in-Chief Alexander Chase. I'm Forum Editor Jordan Chenhar. And we can confirm that the beer is cheaper here. Along with a lot of other things. Just as many white people, though. Um, we were coming at you in this fine Easter weekend uh, with a little bit less and a little bit more to talk to you about in terms of national and international politics in different ways. Uh, as we record this, the biggest news of the day is um, that the White House guest book is being re- removed, uh, which really just feels like a big letdown in terms of our daily expectations, doesn't it? I mean, I'm, I for one am glad the Trump White House is saving $17,500 a year in released guest logs. I mean, I, I don't know why it takes costs the government $50 a day to upload things onto the internet. Yeah. But it, um, given how much time I spent digging through archives researching presidential guest logs back in the day, I'm, I'm pretty glad that my uh, successors won't have to do the same, put up with the same tedium. Uh, really, really a great world we live in. Um, anyways, well, uh, the meat of our uh, conversation today is going to concern whether or not Trump is moderating back to, uh, you know, the, uh, the regular red mate meat and potatoes conservatism uh of of yonder um that a lot of other pundits and critics of pundits uh are discussing um for for, for context here trump did seem to affirm that steve bannon is losing some influence um in his administration talking about how steve is a good guy but i didn't really know him until very late in the campaign and he has been Trump's been disappointed with some of Bannon's efforts thus far, and is listening a lot more to uh, Jared Kushner and Gary Cohn, the head of his National Economic Council. Uh, can Can you call him by his his real name there? Do you want me to include the echoes? No, no, no. It's his his name is Carbon Tax Cohn. Carbon Tax Cohn, yes. Or uh, or Globalist Gary, depending on your <laughs> preferences. I, I'm a fan of Globalist Gary. Well, uh, that's the closest thing we have to, to to echoes in verbal speech, something of which the people who come up with echoes are largely incapable. That's the echoes. <laughs> hey, but you got to give them credit. If you're only communicating uh, via the internet, you can just use you know a globe emoji, which is extremely useful. It's a fair point. Or a yes. frog emoji. Yes. Equally uh, useful. Anyway, um, there's been a lot of talk in the media about Trump possibly either moderating or becoming more of an orthodox conservative. His foreign policy pivots lately have seemed to kind of follow in that mold. There's a lot more hawkishness towards Russia and a lot more talk about opening up to China, more receptiveness to um, working with China on issues relating to North Korea. Um, and Trump's approval ratings are higher than they have been in the 538 approval rating tracker at any point since the first couple of weeks of his administration. So, does this portend anything going forward? I, I've, for one, don't think it has any predictive value whatsoever because I don't think that Trump knows what he's doing five minutes from now. So, yeah, no, I think that the right approach to this is always to assume that, um, like with a lot of other things that are that follow a sort of random walk, our best guess for what the future is going to hold is, uh, well, what we've seen in the past seven days. Yeah. Um, you know, for a long time now, we've been looking at a president who seems to change his opinions based on who's spoken to last. And I think that, you know, in a sort of uh, algebra one sort of sense, uh, the idea that he's going to be talking more to Jared Kushner and Gary Cohn than to Steve Bannon, 
suggests that he would potentially moderate a little bit. A little bit on social issues probably, but when it comes to things like financial deregulation, Cohen is a fairly conventional Republican. He stopped donating to to Democratic candidates sometime around 2009 when (laughs) Dodd-Frank passed. Um, In the same way that Rex Tillerson was largely seen before his appointment as Secretary of State as an apolitical dude who just went with what he thought was best for Exxon, Gary Cohen largely served a similar role for Goldman Sachs. Yeah, yeah. So what I mean by moderation there is... um rather than talking about tearing up NAFTA, is kind of just drifting back towards the Washington status quo, if you will. Yeah. You know, like the, we have arrived at certain conclusions that things are the way they are, you know, capital letters at the beginnings of each word there. Uh, you know, we we keep China at arm's length and want to improve China bad, NAFTA kind of okay, Etc. Etc. All kind of like sort of consensuses that have existed for a while that he kind of looked like he could have torn apart, and uh, I think that the sort of uh, that that sort of algebra one math that we're looking at would suggest that he would want to keep more things intact. And for those of us who don't want the world to you know be completely upended as we're trying to figure out um, we're going we're going to be employed in the next few months, it's probably a good thing. Uh, but I mean. Who are you anyway? Globalists. <sighs> Sad. Uh, but yeah, I, don't know. I, I think the question there is like less of a, is he a conventional Republican versus is he a moderate so much as a, is he going to continue to uphold status quo after saying that he was going to rip all of them apart for a while? Right. And it's interesting that there aren't really any new policy initiatives coming out of the White House right now. Um, they talked about p- pivoting to tax reform after the American Healthcare Act blew up, but that hasn't happened. There have been a few talks about going back to healthcare, a few 2 a.m. phone calls, what you doing texts, et cetera, to uh, congressional Republicans trying to see if we can revive what used to be there. But it doesn't seem to be to be really landing at this point, much like that analogy didn't. Uh, I don't know. I mean... In, that sen- in some sense, you know, it's it's really a lot of uh, it's a lot of the same, and not not particularly doing anything. And that, you know, it, it's sort of Drake governance. You know, uh, it sounds nice if you want it to sound nice. If you're not into it, you're probably going to hate it. And uh, yeah, the core constituency, you know, the the power move at the center of this all is uh, is trying to make things the way they were before. It doesn't really seem like there's any passion for the things that they're doing, though, um, particularly on healthcare. We should probably stop. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I mean, you know, there's. I mean, repeat, reading a piece of analysis saying that congressional Republicans, uh, you know, are tired of taking a crowbar to the face uh, from Democrats whenever you know they, you know, get told that their attempts to fix so Obamacare will take away coverage from people and that they don't generally they don't want to touch it at this point and you know it's it's odd that you don't even like the, the throwing red meat to the base uh, tax reform um, Washington consensus among Republicans sorts of moves aren't happening at the sort of speed we'd expect you know I would have expected that by now we'd have you know, three different suggestions on how to change the tax code on the table, and a bunch of people who've been, you know, rearing to get after this for years, really, really chomping at bit, and you know, throwing their best suggestions on the table in an effort to get tax reform actually happening. You know, but 
you know, Gorsuch got approved, and there doesn't seem like there's a whole lot else coming down the pipe right now. It really doesn't. I mean, maybe maybe we'll just see a shift to foreign policy. And it's, it seems like what's going on right now, last week, um, marked the first time the U.S. military used a massive ordnance aeroblast, or the mother of all bombs, on, it was dropped on an ISIS target in Afghanistan. Uh, this morning, reports were that... Uh, the number of casualties among ISIS fighters was in the 30s, and that there were no it, civilian casualties, if you're willing to believe those sorts of things. Uh, I, I, I don't think that we can adequately comment on whether or not that's true, but that is the report. Yeah, you know, information about that won't come out until later, although the given that the military did send out a pretty advanced warning to all civilians in the area that tried to evacuate them, and the ISIS targets that... Um, the mother of all bombs was designated for were underground. It, it seems plausible. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, discussion about this has been at times very dumb and in aggregate, you know, kind of exactly what you expect. Uh, um, if you were dropping a huge ordinance of explosive in an extremely desolate area with hopes of taking out infrastructure, which to me sounds like the most reasonable approach for what you should be doing, then, you know, something like this can be a good idea. Um, you know, the province that this strike took place in is populated, but just like Texas is populous, you know, just because a strike happens in a populated area doesn't mean, or a populated province doesn't mean that anyone is actually dying. That's not just the security guards for the caves that they were bombing yeah you know, it was a rural and mountainous part of the, the province but what's interesting is that um you're right trump has pivoted more towards a more foreign policy approach after the failures of some of the domestic uh, initiatives and uh, he's been winning a lot of plaudits from foreign policy experts from people on both sides of the political aisle for um actions like the tomahawk strikes on a syrian airbase or the moab against afghanistan uh, or against ISIS in Afghanistan, rather. Um, the only um, kind of concerning element of all of this saber-rattling is his stance towards North Korea, which has drawn more skepticism. But for somebody like Trump, who responds as strongly as he does to audience approval, uh, the fact that he's getting a lot of support for military actions, which largely aren't designed by him, and which most nonpartisan or independent or even bipartisan... Um, or the that both nonpartisan and partisan experts largely agree are the correct decision is kind of scary because if that's the kind of thing that he decides he wants more of, then would he be able to get it from his military brass? And would the efficacy of the strikes continue um, in, the, in the same way that they have so far? That's, that's harder to judge. A, a lot of, kind of critics on the left think that that could be all of the even deserved praise for some of these strikes. Yeah. Could yeah, be drawing us into yeah, he, closer to war. He, he's hitting the lowest hanging fruit that's been in, in the works for a while now. I'm sure. I, I'm sure the the strikes that he he undertook were the sorts of things that uh, that Mattis had probably been looking at doing whenever he was working for Obama. Um, this is the lowest hanging possible fruit. The easiest missions to claim success on. Um, and the problem is that rallying around the flag is uh, is something of a a really, really addictive and dangerous drug for uh, leaders, especially like Trump, who really need a dose of um, positive approval ratings 
Um, well, at the same time, we haven't actually really seen a rally around the flag effect um, in response to U.S. military ventures abroad since the beginnings of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. I mean, like... Obama didn't get massive love for his no-fly zone over Libya. Oh, I mean, a no-fly zone over Libya isn't quite the same as dropping the, long, the largest non-nuclear bomb in our arsenal on ISIS. No, um, but it's, far more, it's actually far more aggressive as a strategic... Uh, objective. Oh yeah, um, and that's exactly what I'm saying there. Um, when he said he was going to bomb the shit out of ISIS, this is literally him doing that. Um, people here tend to not like ISIS, uh, as, as as you viewers at home may know, um, and bombing the shit out of them is probably a politically, uh, I don't know, positive thing for someone who's. At least trying to hold on to the, the the Republican Party support and maybe trying to pull some hawkish moderates along. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can get greater than fifty percent approval rating for dropping a huge ass bomb on ISIS in Afghanistan. I'm sure, but also it's the kind of thing that Obama could have done pretty easily without seeing any kind of bump in approval ratings. And at the end of the day, uh, I would think that as Trump would be, or Trump's approval ratings would be more subject to his handling of. Domestic crises, whether they're um, related to the economy or healthcare, or, or whether they're related to um, foreign policy, uh, like any kind of attacks on domestic soil. Yeah, and I think that you know, when we talk about this, we really should be thinking about the way that our conversation works here. Um, there's a sort of uh, there's, I think there's there's the necessary reality for us to face that Trump is going to base a lot of his decisions on what pundits say and what consumer reaction, if you will, is. You know, he's if he's a businessman, he should care about what his consumers think, and the consumers here are largely the Republican base. And you know, as long as as long as his people like him, as long as he can pull approximately fifty percent of people towards him, he's in he's in good graces, uh, probably in his mind. Um, and a lot of his ability to do that will depend on how Democrats message, uh, craft an opposing message. Hillary Clinton's campaign largely tried to cast Trump as somebody abnormal and say that ab- that abnormality is bad. But if Trump is aligning himself more closely now with the, a mainstream Republican agenda, then it might make more sense to pivot towards a more uh, populist attacking the conventional Republicans approach. Yeah, yeah. I, I we'll see kind of how these things play out. Small sample size. You know, this is the first real week of real changes in any foreign policy we've seen after trying to change uh, health care and you know definitely changing a lot of approaches to cabinet. Um, According to Farid Zakaria, it's his first week in office. Yeah, no, I, and that's exactly what I think is like the sort of thing that we as people who like to comment on things uh, with reckless abandon should, should be thinking about, Um, you know, does us saying, you know, reasonable, simple foreign policy maneuvers good. um, And therefore bombing the shit out of people good make for a a better next four years or so. Uh, Going back to the, the random walk um, model that you, you posed earlier in the show, I, I think that because of the inherent unpredictability of this administration, there people shouldn't try to mod- modulate their perspective on whether its actions are right or wrong based on how they think it's going to act going forward. So if a limited strike on a Syrian airbase is seen as a good, if, or if you're inclined to think that a limited strike on a Syrian airbase is a good thing, then you should in- 
say that you see it as a good thing, regardless of whether or not you think that that's going to make Trump more likely to start bombing the shit out of Bashar Assad going forward. Yeah, right. yeah, that, that seems reasonable. Just I think the tell, tell the truth. Yeah, yeah. I think the attached discussion about like a a perspective pivot kind of functions in a similar way. I know a lot of people like Zakaria or you know, a lot of other talking heads on CNN, Fox, MSNBC want to discuss whether or not Trump is pivoting. We kind of opened with some of that, the same discussion. And uh, I don't know, because I tend to believe in the random walks for the model myself uh, and that, you know, uh, he's may not be necessarily pivoting himself so much as just kind of getting exposed to some of these realities and then probably still approaching them in a somewhat Trumpian manner. His his incentives isn't cha- aren't haven't changed. He's not appealing to a different audience. He's just getting a little more information. I don't think he's actually trying to moderate. I don't think he's trying to pivot. And I think it could be a little bit irresponsible for some of us to oversell whether or not you know he's getting better or worse at governance or responding to all the sorts of problems out there. So much as he's just actually realizing the job is hard. Right. I mean, I I think that a, a lot of the, the prognostication in 4d chess and uh, <laughs> other sorts of analysis are uh, largely misguided i don't think political pundits really know what's going to happen a week from now um any more than anybody else does there's actually some interesting research on this that nate silver reported about uh before he himself kind of veered a little into political punditry um but if if media sources just kind of live live in the here and now commenting on whatever the news is without trying to read too much into what kind of effect it's going to have in the future. And I think that's probably the the best way to analyze what's been going on so far. And um, from the democratic perspective, the strategy should be less about uh, freaking out about how the world is ending while throwing kale salad to the base on issues of identity politics, uh, which is, was largely the uh, Hillary Clinton strategy in the last election and start hammering Trump as a plutocrat uh, who's even if he's pivoting is pivoting in a direction that brings him closer in line with Goldman Sachs and with a kind of generally unpopular Republican agenda that seems like the better electoral strategy yeah if you want to mix in something Trump specific then it should probably be about corruption yeah yeah I mean I think the best lo- most lukewarm and most accurate take I've seen in the past week or so is uh, when uh, David Frum uh, responded to the uh, Syria strike by saying that Donald Trump is the same man today as he is he was yesterday. Um, you know, from is a somewhat conservative leading editor of the Atlantic, who's. I mean, their public that publication is not veered too far into the going off the deep end one way or another. I'd say in a, what's been a very strange year, and I think we owe it to ourselves to, uh, um, you know, maybe assume less forty chess is going on on the other end. Uh, veer less into gimmicky analysis and, you know, maybe listen to some people who actually have experience in watching the back-end deals here. Do, do we have time for some game theory? I, right. I, I think that the second that we, we we start doing game theory, we should probably end this podcast, so... I guess we don't have time for game theory, then. I Q-dropped my game theory class, and I will Q-drop this podcast if we get into, into time for some game theory as a segment. All right, so just to wrap up here, we started the show by asking, is Trump moderating, and what should the media talk, uh, or how should the media cover it, if so? And it seems like we've concluded, maybe, and 
Maybe, even though one of those was not a yes or no question. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, no, I, I think the responsible thing to do here is uh, is to assume that uh, that people don't dramatically change in a month's time when they're 70 years old. And that doesn't matter if they're the president or a military advisor or, um, you know, the same sort of punditry who uh, in the early 2000s got really excited about the... Uh, war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Right. Uh, I, the, the the right approach here seems to be healthy skepticism uh, towards the present and uh, no sweeping predictions about the future, particularly in the long run. That's really and boring, I gotta say. But I, It is, but the, the media should be boring. Yeah, yeah, no, I... I, I enjoy I enjoy casually sitting on the couch uh, doing a stoku and drinking my coffee in the morning and I prefer not to be taken as much more interesting than that myself. I mean it's 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 fun and it's great for ratings. Um uh, and we're kind of doing a little bit of our little bit of it ourselves right now and predicting uh what's going to happen going forward but I I think a little bit of the humility about how kind of fickle all these predictions are and especially just both in general and especially now with somebody as inherently unpredictable running the country um as donald trump yeah yeah so i mean boring is good that said do you want to talk about uh, neo-nazi furries uh, i think we'll have to bump that to next week unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> yes uh sorry there uh they don't have time for game theory or for talking about neo-nazi furries no um, um that does mean that we do have something for you next week that is just a little bit for you next week I can't seriously take you. That is the kind of I, joke that I, the furry raiders would probably make. I, I hope you guys can hear me throwing things in the background. We're in this podcast. Please join us next week. Despite our boringness, we'll be talking about something um, a little bit less serious. This podcast was produced by The Daily Texan and hosted by Alexander Chase and Jordan Shenhar. And the music was by Randy Watchler. Be sure to check back next week for our next episode. And for more news, go to dailytexanonline.com.